All right, open with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We'll be looking at Romans chapter 8 this morning. As you know, um, I've been asking folks to give me some topics uh, they'd like to hear me preach on. Well, this is a topic that I asked myself what I wanted to preach on, and this was my answer. <laughs> so just so you know, I got this one's from me. Romans 8. And we're really only going to be focusing on two or three verses, but I really have to read context, uh, so I practice what I preach. So you see that these words didn't just drop out of heaven, they have a context. So we're going to look at Romans 8, we're going to read verses um, 1 to 17, but we're only going to focus, you'll be happy to know, on verses 12 to 17. So let's stand for the reading of God's holy inerrant encouraging word therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Now here's our passage. Therefore, Brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. 
ascends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. May he bless us our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Yes, sir. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we get to look at this awesome chapter of Paul's letter to the Roman Christians. See, there is a letter to my people after all. And um, in this awesome letter, chapter 8 in particular, uh, you would note, we didn't get to read the whole thing, but you would note that Paul starts off with this triumphant uh, verse of, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And we should all be saying, Hallelujah. No more condemnation. No judgment. Amen? And then he ends the chapter, therefore there's no separation. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No condemnation, no separation. Now that's the gospel, amen? Well, why did Paul feel the need to pen this chapter in, in uh, Romans? To these Christians. Why do you feel the need to emphasize. And to encourage us. Through the scriptures. With the fact that there's no separation. There's no condemnation. Because listen this is why. They believed from the heart. The great gospel truths. That in Jesus' death. And in, it, in his resurrection. He has defeated our three enemies. Of sin, death and hell. That's the good news. We are victorious in Christ. But here's the problem. They still continued to deal with sin, death, and at times a condemning conscience. So the question would be, if, this is, if the gospel is true, then is my experience normal? Or am I missing something? Right? Isn't that how all false teaching almost gets, gets a foothold in our lives? We, we have this feeling that the gospel's not enough, so we buy the lie. Oh, you need a second blessing. You need to be filled with the whole, have the second experience other than conversion. You need these things. You need that thing. Because the truth of the matter is, even true, genuine believers still struggle daily with their sinful nature. And what Paul wants you to know is, it's a normal experience to fight and to battle sin. A true experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit does not mean a, a carefree, struggle-free life. Quite to the contrary, what Paul wants us to see is, because Jesus defeated death, sin, and hell, we have now been uh, made alive to actually fight those enemies. Before that happened in our lives, we were dead in the water. We couldn't even fight. And so what Paul wants to do in this chapter is he wants to give us a genuine assurance that even though we struggle, even though we fight, even though this sin doesn't leave us alone, that if indeed we belong to Christ, we have the Spirit of Christ. And if we are led by the Spirit of God, then we indeed, as he says in a moment, we're going to see in a moment, then we are the sons of God. So that what we're going to see this morning is what does it look like to have a true experience of the Holy Spirit in your life? In other words, you, know, you ever, I mean, some Christians can be so super or uh, uh, pseudo-spiritual. 
I was led by the Spirit to do this. I was led by the, you know, you could fill up like an encyclopedia of all the different things Christians say that the Holy Spirit led them to do. Can I get an amen? But actually, whenever the Bible talks about the leading of the Holy Spirit, at least the vast majority of cases at best, it's talking about a particular activity, a particular thing that the Spirit's leading us to do. So Paul's going to tell us about this in Romans 8. So this is an important thing. I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that I have the Spirit of God living in me, because what did he say earlier in the passage Why I read the whole thing? He who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. So we need to make sure. So let's take a look and see what the marks are of being led by the Spirit of God. That's what we're going to see, and that's what Paul is going to tell us about. And that's what we're going to, that's how God is going to give us great assurance uh, that even as, uh, as much of a hot mess as we are, as much of a struggle as it is to live the Christian life, we are the people of God. And we have a great destination because of Jesus. So let's take a look at this. We're going to see this. The Holy Spirit leads, God, leads God's children in three things, or in three ways. He leads God's children, first of all, away from sin. That's what I want to hear people. The Spirit led me <laughs> to do what? We'll see in a minute. He leads God's children away from sin into God's presence. That's the second thing. And the third thing, on the path to glory. Those are the three places the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of, Holy, of, of, of the Trinity, Holy Trinity, will lead us into. That's a genuine experience of the Holy Spirit. Not all kinds of weird things. Remember, I remember the one, the Toronto blessing where people would act like animals and make noises and they would say that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. No. I don't know what kind of blessing that was, but it wasn't from God. Anywho, let's take a look at the first one. The Holy Spirit leads God's children, first of all, away from sin. Um, it's going to be in, in verse 13, but I want to read verse 12 as well. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. And then here's the, the part I want you to really pay attention to. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So the first clear sign that you're being led by the Holy Spirit um, is negative in this sense. The sign will be that you're putting sin to death in your life. You're on the battlefield for the Lord. You're joining in the battle to fight the flesh, the sinful flesh, those sinful desires that we have because we are fallen beings. Now, the first thing I want to point out from this text, and it's super important, is the one way we know that we're being led by the Holy Spirit is that we are actually putting to death this, the misdeeds of the body by the power of that he alone supplies. Look at the text. Paul writes, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. Isn't that interesting? What he's saying is that we can know that the Spirit is, it's the Spirit who's at work in our lives. If indeed we are being led to fight sin, we are being led to put to death the misdeeds of the body, because here's the point. There's no way that's coming from you. There's no way that's coming from your sinful nature, from your normal fallen nature. That has to come from heaven. It's a supernatural thing. Look, here's the thing. Are you fighting sin? I'm not talking about if you don't fall sometimes, it's sometimes. I'm talking about in general, are you fighting sin in your life? 
Are you struggling to overcome its influence when it rears its ugly head in your life? Then take heart. That's the Spirit leading, according to the text. He alone gives us these new desires to hate sin and to put sin to death. Normally, we want to coddle sin. We want to indulge sin. Sin says, I'd like to do this. Oh, be happy to. That's normal human nature. Don't mind if I do, right? C.S. Lewis hit the nail on the head when he wrote this. I cannot, by direct moral effort, give myself new motives. After the first few steps in the Christian life, we realize that everything which really needs to be done in our souls can be done only by God. It's not enough to just say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Because here's the problem. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, you turn over the new leaf. What happens to the new leaf? You make it just as dirty as the other side was. You with me? We need help. And just because we belong to Christ doesn't need, mean that we need it less. It actually, in some ways, means we need it more. Because now we're in the fight. You didn't need it when you weren't fighting, when you gave up. It's actually pretty simple. Think about it this way. Spiritual life only comes from the Spirit of God. <laughs> Isn't that why it's called spiritual? Does that make sense? It has to come from the Spirit. It can't come from us. Paul already told us in verses 5 to 7, that's why I read the context, that the natural man, that is the unsaved, unsaved humanity outside of a saving relationship uh, to Christ by faith, doesn't submit to God's law. And here's the, 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 the real ringer. It's not that it only doesn't, it can't submit to God's law. It's unable to. No, so if you are putting to death the misdeeds of the body, then make no mistake about it, it's only by the power of the Spirit. Look, if he left us to fight on our own, the fight would be over even before it began. And as preachers, we always think of illustrations for this. I got a great illustration. Think of a boxer, right? Got all ready for this fight. He did all this training. He gets in the ring, and all, the only, first thing he remembers is waking up to smelling salt. And he says, well, are, are we going to start? Did it start? We know what happened. Pow! Lights out, man. He walked up and before he knew it, he's out. So before the fight even started, he was done. Apart from the Holy Spirit of God, we're smelling, smelling salt. Sin is whooping our butt. That's what the text is saying. And that's why he says uh, very clearly, if you by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh. See, here's the awesome thing. And we, we meditate on the, this first truth I'm going to say, hopefully, very often, I hope you do. God sent his only son to pay the penalty of our sin on the cross. And that's why Paul said earlier, therefore, there's no condemnation. Please, can I get an amen? But there's a second uh, corollary truth that's just as true, and we need to meditate on it as well. God didn't only send His Son to pay for our sins. God also sends His Spirit into our lives so we can put remaining sin to death. You see that? Jesus dies for our sins. 
The Spirit comes into your life to help you put sin to death on a practical, everyday level. That means, listen, it's what Jesus said to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. Don't you understand why they were freaking out when Jesus said he was leaving? They, know, they knew they could do nothing apart from him. Right? He just told them that in, in, in John 15, apart from me you could do nothing, and then he says, I'm leaving. And they're like, whoa, 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 back the truck up. What do you mean you're leaving? We can't do this without you. And Jesus says, don't worry. I'm not leaving you as orphans, but I'm going to send you another one just like me. We just learned there's father and son. Now you tell me there's a third. Yes, there is. The Holy Spirit, the counselor, he's going to be with you. He's going to be in you. He's going to remind you of all the things that I've told you. And, in, and as Paul points out here, he is going to empower you. He's going to be with you, helping you put to death those misdeeds of the body. The things that in your heart you don't want to do. That when you do fall, because sometimes we do fall, you look back and you say, I can't believe I fell for that. I'm so ashamed. How did I do that? I don't want to be that person. I don't want to do that thing. Now, God is with us very, in a very real sense in the person of the Holy Spirit. Second thing we need to see in this verse, even though it's true that the Spirit leads us to mortify our flesh, that is, put sin to death, um, and in His power, we still have a part to play in the process. Look at verse 13 again. If by the Spirit, notice this, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. See, that's the other extreme. Some people say, well, the Holy Spirit's going to do it. So I can kick back. And just by osmosis, let the Spirit do it. Let the Spirit work. Hallelujah. Let go. Let God. Paul will have none of it. He doesn't give us any room for any kind of a quietist spirituality. There's no room for being a passive and sitting back and and, and just uh, letting God do everything while we go about our, our merry way. The mark, of, listen to this, this is super important to understand. The mark of the Spirit's leading in someone's life is active, deliberate activity. How do I know the Spirit's leading you? Leading you Is that you will be active in putting sin to death in your life. Look, in case you're a little bit confused, listen to this. Paul puts it this way in... Um, Philippians, we already uh, mentioned this a number of times in other uh, contexts, but I want you to hear it again. Philippians 2, 12 to 13, this is what Paul says. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, listen, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's action, is it not? That's effort. But then he follows it up with this. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. So wait a minute, who's acting, God or you? Yes. Yeah, you heard me. Yes. It's God who's working, and that's why you're working. It's a concurrent thing. In other words, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and lo and behold, you find out as you're doing it, God's doing it. He's the one that's actually empowering you. Listen, the Spirit doesn't lead God's children into some effortless Christian life, but rather the Spirit leads us into Christian warfare. 
I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. And I promised him. Right? And I would serve him till I die. Because here's the thing. In this life, I want you to understand this. This, this. this actually is a freeing concept when I first learned that as a young believer. The sinful nature will constantly continue to cry out to be satisfied until we lay aside the tents of these bodies and we see Jesus as, we is, as he is and then we will actually be like him. In other words, until glory, the sinful nature will constantly be dogness. It's a fact. The sinful nature is relentless. It doesn't quit. Now, it's not something you have to try to study your Bibles to see if I'm true or not. You know this! You know this in experience. It just won't go away in this life. Mary and I are tennis fans, in case you didn't know. And back in the day, I really loved to watch Andre Agassi. And now, I kinda, now I'm rooting for Federer because he's the old dog, and we're going to see if he has a comeback, and you know, all that. But... Um, a lot of times when you're watching tennis, you, have, you hear the commentaries, the commentators saying things that they get paid to say or whatever. Uh, but one of them, I, 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 one comment that comes up a lot is something like this. Federer is going to have to really fight for this win. His opponent isn't going to just go away. You get that? Well, that's true about the sinful nature. It's not like it's going to be a cakewalk. It's just going to lay down for you. So by the Spirit, we are to put to death the misdeeds of the body. And I want you to see one thing before I move on, and that's super important. There are those two extremes, and they're both unbiblical. And the one extreme says, let go, let God. It's all about just letting him do it. You don't do anything. You fold your hands. But then the other extreme is you've got to work it all by yourself. It's all your own effort. It's all in your own power. It's all in your own energy. Both of those are false roads. The truth is, it's not a balance. It's a tension. Because we put to death the misdeeds of the body by the Spirit. You see that? It's both. Both and. Not one extreme or the other. So don't listen to either of those sides. <laughs> kind of sounds like our Facebook feed, doesn't it? You know, I'm talking about po the politics that are way on that one side and way on the other side. And we know they both look like they're the same thing in the end, right? It's like, you know, the two wings belong to the same bird, right? Same thing here. These are two extremists. No. It's together. But Paul, thankfully, he, he goes on to tell us this. This is the point he's been leading up to. Look at verse 14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. How do we know who the sons of God are? They're being led by the Holy Spirit. To do what? <laughs> to put to death the misdeeds of the body. That's what the Spirit's leading is all about. Negatively, I know that I belong to God's family by the Spirit's work in my life, leading me to mortify my flesh. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. But Paul doesn't stop with the negative, and that's my second point. Positively, I, I can know that I'm a child of God by the Spirit leading me not only away from sin, excuse me, but also into the presence of God. That's what the Spirit does for us. Notice that. 
Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now listen to these words from Dick Lucas, because he puts it together really well. He says this, these are the two works of the Holy Spirit that are basic to the normal Christian life. He leads me away from sin. He leads me into the presence of God, right? By the Holy Spirit, I'm led to mortify the misdeeds of the body. But the Holy Spirit knows very well that I am so weak and frail, so at the same time He leads me to cry out urgently to the Father, or I will give way. These two things always go together. And then He says this, listen. If I will not cry out to God, I will certainly give way to the sinful nature. Isn't that powerful? In other words, in the middle of the fight, if I don't fall on my knees and say, Abba, Father, there's no way I'm winning the battle. And he says here, Paul says, you didn't receive a spirit that makes you again a slave again to fear. And what's the slave again to fear? That was when you used to live under the law. When you used to try to earn God's favor and stay right with God by, by obedience, by keeping the, the rules. Because the problem is, Paul already explained it in chapters uh, 6 and 7 of Romans, that by the law shall no flesh be, be justified. Why? Because the law only tells us what we can do, but it can't empower us to do it. So the law condemns us. The law says, do this and live, and then what? We can't do it perfectly. Because the law wants us to do it, not just the best we can, but perfect. And so when, in those days, uh, when we were under the law, as it were, it was all about fear. Stepping out of line, you know you're going to get it. Paul says, no, you don't have to receive that spirit. You receive the spirit of sonship. You're in the family. Now, in other words, you don't have to work your whole life trying to get your father's acceptance, trying to get in the family, but now you serve as a child. You're in the family. Stop your striving. You, you know, there are some folks who live their whole lives through their parents' approval. Can you relate to that? What Paul is saying is, if you are in Christ, you have your parents' approval, the heavenly father. And that's the approval that really matters. You are a son. You are a daughter. You don't have to walk around cowering. Look, you want to know, let me just give you one quick example of how, under the law, how they lived. Exodus 20, verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but don't have God speak to us or we will die. Now that's fear, isn't it? No. Now that we have trusted in Christ, we've received the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Sonship. Jesus took the penalty of the law in His flesh for you and for me. One commentator puts it this way, isn't it an awful mentality, the slave's mentality of creeping around, a feeling that I have to do something to get God's attention? He continually turns the slave mentality of serving God out of fear into the humble confidence of the child of God. That's what the gospel does. 
Now, I want you, I'm going to ask you to be your own witness. If I, was doing a, if I was in a courtroom right now, I'd say, I'm asking you to be a witness for yourself. That's right. Don't you cry out to God in the most intimate terms in prayer? When things get rough, don't you look up and say, Father. And it's interesting. It's the Aramaic word, which really can be translated, Papa. That's the intimate. It's the person. It's the, the, the child who comes to, to daddy with trust. And it's the spirit that enables us to cry out from the heart. Pop. How profound it is for us to call the holy, awesome, almighty, infinite God of all creation. Papa. Here's the thing. It's so powerful. When your father hears, you cry out, Daddy. Don't you think he's going to stand by and do nothing? Nothing melts my heart. My son said to me, Papa. I'm like, come on. You know you're getting me now. You're getting me now. What are you doing here? So the Holy Spirit leads us to cry out, Father, dear Father, the same way Jesus addressed his Father. You remember in Gethsemane, he cried out, Abba, Father. That's how Jesus addressed God. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The Spirit of God leads believers into the presence of God to pray like the Son of God. <laughs> That's pretty cool, right? I think it is. But listen, now it, it even gets better. A few more minutes here because this just keeps getting better. Not only does it lead us into the presence of God by leading us to address God in the most intimate of terms, but listen, he also testifies to our membership in God's family before the throne. I want you to see this. Look at verse 16. I'll never forget when I first saw this. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So listen, the Spirit doesn't only lead us to testify to our own sonship in prayer, but He testifies with us in God's court, in heaven, at the throne of grace. See, whenever I've read this earlier in my Christian life, I thought this was saying the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are sons of God. You know what I mean by that? In other words, like it was an internal assurance, like this secret quiet thing where the Holy Spirit is saying to me, you are God's child, which is a wonderful thing. And maybe there's other passages that teach that, but that's not what this is saying. Notice it says in the text, he testifies, look at the different word there, with our spirit. You see the difference? between to our spirit and with our spirit? That's the word in the Greek. It's soon, which is with. He testifies with our spirit that we are indeed sons of God. So in other words, we have another advocate, another lawyer. Remember, Jesus is our lawyer. Well, there's another lawyer, and he is the Holy Spirit. And when we get down on our knees in prayer, he's with us. He's before the throne of God. And as we say, Abba, Father, the Spirit says to the Father, 
Yes, Father. This is one for whom Christ died. They are your child. They are a bona fide believer. They are yours. So now we have, as the Old Testament says, you need two or three witnesses to establish a truth. Now we got two witnesses. In prayer. In the throne. Around the throne of grace, he appoints my sole place. I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. Now listen, Everett Harrison says this. The Spirit, however, does not base his assuring testimony on progress or lack of it in the Christian life. He does not lead us to cry, I am God's child. Rather, he leads us to call upon God as Father to look away from ourselves to him who established the relationship. Did you notice that? It's, the assurance doesn't come by us looking at our own lives. As I mentioned earlier, that's a mess. The Holy Spirit gives us assurance by having us look away from ourselves to our great God and Savior. The Spirit leads us away from sin. The Spirit leads us into God's presence. And the last thing, very briefly, because I've already preached a couple of messages on this, but I'm just going to mention it so you see it in the text. The Spirit also leads us on the path to glory. And what's the path of glory? It's suffering with Jesus. Because here's the thing, in Rome they were suffering. They were being persecuted for their faith. And you know when you're experiencing suffering, especially physical suffering, um, there can be this idea that maybe God is forsaking me. Or maybe I'm doing something wrong. Or maybe I'm going in the wrong direction. I need to fix this so I don't have to suffer anymore. But what Paul is saying is, no, if you are suffering for Jesus, that just shows you are being led by the Spirit because the Spirit's going to lead you where Jesus is. And where was Jesus when he was in this life? He was on the road to Calvary. He was on the road to suffering. The Son of Man must suffer many things, die, and then on the third day be raised. And that's the same exact pattern for believers. So John Stott, to summarize, puts it this way. The whole Christian life is identification with Christ. If we share his sonship, we shall share his inheritance in glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must share his sufferings first. Look at me at verse 17 as we wrap it up. Paul says, now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Talk about mind being blown. We look in this life, we say, what inheritance do I have? Some of us may not have a great earthly inheritance. But here's the thing, if you are a believer in Christ, you are a co-heir with the Son of God. You have an eternal kingdom that you are going to inherit. And so we're called to set our hearts and our minds and our vision beyond the suffering to the glory that Paul says, um, I do not compare, uh, consider it even worth, worthy to be compared, our, our, our light sufferings compared to the glory that will be revealed. If these realities are at work in your life, then you can be assured that you are the genuine article then you could take to heart that as failing as you are, as much as you take the three steps forward, two steps back, you are one of His. And you cry out, 
Abba Father. And even your sufferings are leading to a glorious future. And I want to say this in closing. If you do not, if this is not true of you, if you don't see any of these, this reality in your life, this is your opportunity, even now, to go before the Lord Jesus and say, I need you and I want you. Lord, have mercy. I'm not worthy. But I need you to forgive my sins and give me the life that only you can give to the true children of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great reminder that you have given your people your Holy Spirit, that we are sons and daughters of the High King of Heaven, and that we, through the Spirit, have the call to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work in our lives to witness with our spirits that we are indeed the children of God. Lord, as we walk through our lives this week, empower us for your glory and our own good to fight the good fight, to run the race, and to put to death the misdeeds of the body that we might live for your glory, not our own. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.